Well, good morning. Come on. There we go. Well, Bernie stole all my quotes, <clears throat> so I have nothing left to share with you. Um, no, she didn't. Well, it's good to, to see you all here, and I'm going to apologize in advance. If I have to sit down, I haven't lost interest, and I'm not being lazy. I'm having some back spasms, so just just in, in case I sit, I'm not, I haven't given up. Um, so it's good to see you all here. Um, we have, as Bernie said, a weighty topic to talk about this morning, and God's Word gives us instruction on purity, and um, so we're just going to look at different aspects of how to live out a pure life. <clears throat> you should have two handouts at your table. You should have the outline for this morning, and I won't be able to go in depth uh, on this aspect of purity, but there's also a handout on modesty, um, so if you guys can, ladies can take a look at that. Well, several months ago, um, I read a story about a guy who was uh, the mayor of his town. He owned the local grocery store. He was well-known in his community. He was the senior pastor at his church, and he also had a double life. He also dressed as a woman in his free time, and he posted photos on ungodly websites, and he lived this whole life that nobody knew anything about. Now, somehow this was exposed, and um, the media came and asked him, you know, what, what's your response to this? And he said, it's just a bit of a character I'm playing. Does this have any effect on me being mayor that I sometimes put on a dress and put on makeup? Does it have anything to do with whatsoever with me being a pastor? What I do in my private life has nothing to do with what I do in my holy life. <clears throat> now, I would counter that with your private life is your holy life. There's no separating the two. God says, be holy for I am holy. So what you do when you think no one is watching, that's who you are. That's truly who you are. So you know now who you are. So a commitment to remain sexually pure in your life, it can either grow or it can vanish based on daily decisions, daily habits. What may seem like a minor decision in the moment, choosing not to read your Bible, sleeping instead of coming to church, watching a movie you know is going to be sexually explicit, those are stepping stones to your future. And you're, you're either heading closer to God or further away from him. Um, so in this chapter on, on purity, Chris Mueller wrote, How many of us Christians hope God will guard us from calamity and misery while every day we make small, seemingly inconsequential, immoral choices that inch us toward bigger immoralities? So bigger immoralities. Something like adultery starts with one sinful thought and it can drive off a cliff from there. So you can't claim to be saved while living a continual a life of continual unrepentant sin. Your actions will either reveal that you, your faith was never real, or God will discipline you as his child and you won't enjoy it, but he will do that to draw you back to him. So if you turn with me to Titus 1, uh, we're just going to look at verse 16. It's a very sobering statement there. It says... Uh, in verse Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And I don't think any of us wants to be labeled worthless for any good deed. So when people fall, they don't fall far. And what I mean by that is a godly woman who's in the word daily, she's pursuing purity, she's transparent about her sin with godly women. That woman doesn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to ask the guy that works in the cubicle next to me to commit adultery with me. You don't go from nothing to that. Um, 
It's a downward spiral into impurity that progresses with each sinful decision. A downward spiral. Each sinful decision is bringing you closer and closer to destruction. So this morning, we're going to look at the battle plan for sexual purity because it is a battle. I think that language um, is fitting because we're waging war against sin. Um, it emphasizes, I think, the seriousness of the battle that we're in. As Bernie said, you're, you're battling against yourself. That's your big enemy. So when we think about a soldier, someone who's going out into battle, we know he has to be suited up and prepared. He can't go out on the battlefield in board shorts and Birkenstocks, and when the enemy is running towards him, then decide how to defeat him. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be dead. So a lazy soldier is an easy target to the enemy. And as Mueller said, he wrote it well, which I, I think uh, Bernie shared this, purity is such a big problem because Christians easily forget they are in a constant battle against themselves. Who knows you better than you? You know what you're battling against. So thinking about purity, you need, you need to remember, as we just saying, you're not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to read uh, 15, starting in verse 15, 15 to 20. And that says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know... The one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So again, as we just sang, if you're a Christian, you're bought with a price. The sexual sin that you commit is done in your body. But as a follower of Christ, um, your body is not yours to do whatever you want with. Um, So whether single or married, we have to stay pure, and we must know the safeguards needed to protect our purity. So we're going to look at three areas this morning, and this is on your handouts, but we're going to give you a battle plan so you'll see that what you consume produces your thoughts, which produce your actions. So let's look at the first point. You must consume God's word to develop purity. Well, just like the saying, you are what you eat, you are the content you consume, right? We, we live in an evil world that wants our attention. So we must be careful about the images and the music and the ideas that we're putting into our minds because you're becoming, who you're becoming is really determined by what you're placing there in your mind and in your heart. And we've talked about this before at EBW, but there's, I think, no clearer picture of that than young ladies now who listen to uh, social media and even the government and the university that they go to. And so they decide they're going to go and they're going to turn their female body into a male body, right? You are what you consume. You become whatever you're putting into your mind. So don't be fooled. What you put in there is going to impact your purity. Um, Mueller also wrote, God calls you to be sexually pure in your heart and life. This was a problem in the first century, and it's a problem today even for Christians. Why? Because we ignore our battle... We, we ignore our owner's manual, the inspired word of God. So we, we ignore or belittle the owner's manual 
And with that warning, um, let's look at how consuming God's word, how using your owner's manual uh, will develop your purity. Well, uh, the foundation for our ministry and um, for the book that we're reading is Titus 2. So if you turn with me to Titus 2, we're, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5. That says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, uh, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So whether you're 12 or you're 90, you need to consume scripture daily so that you're living out God's design for biblical womanhood. Jesus said in, in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So do you want to be a woman characterized as someone who loves Christ and pursues him, then you know you need to keep his commandments. Obedience is how you love Christ. So if you are to pursue him, that means you need to be in the word of God so that you know him, because purity only comes from him. So you must be reading your Bible to live a pure life. And as you continue as a soldier in this battle for purity, remember that you can do nothing apart from him. As you look at your thoughts, you look at your actions, I think we'll all see just how desperately we need Christ to stay on that path to purity because you'll fail if you try to remain pure in your own strength. But through the intake of God's word, meditation, uh, prayer, scripture memory, application, uh, he'll work changes in you you would not otherwise experience. And changes in habits, uh, relationships, temptations, dependence on him, and you will have victory uh, in that battle for purity. But it's, it's really mind-boggling if you think about some of the evilest acts we know of. If you think of um, the decree from Herod to kill all the baby boys under the age of two, or the millions of people that were killed by Hitler, where did those evil, where did those evil things start? They started in the mind of a sinner, right? It was one thought which led to another, and then another. Uh, And those thoughts were allowed to run wild. They led them deeper and deeper into sin and destruction. So let's look at the second point. You must use God's word to take your thoughts captive. So how would you ladies respond if I said, I have a Blu-ray disc up here, and it has all of the thoughts that one of you had last week? And I'm going to give it to the sound ladies, and they are going to put it up here on the big screen, and we're all going to sit and watch it together. I would assume this room would be clear in a few seconds because you don't want people to know. But the truth is, uh, God says your thoughts are already being revealed to others. We looked at Mark 7 in the homework for this chapter, and that tells us that our actions defile us. And those start as thoughts that come out of our own hearts. So who you are is already being revealed. Well, most of us know the story of King David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. David was walking around on the roof of his home. Bathsheba was bathing on the roof of her home. Apparently, everyone in that culture did everything on the roof. So David spotted her. He inquired about her. He sent men to basically basically abduct her. They brought her to him. He had sex with her. And shortly after, she sent word back that she was pregnant. So he panicked. He called her husband Uriah home from war. He tried to convince him to go home, hoping he would have sex with his wife and people would think that baby was was his. 
But Uriah was dedicated to his men, and he said no. He refused, and he stayed with them. So David decided to get him drunk and see if he would maybe wander back home, and that didn't work. So then David sent Uriah back into battle, and he gave Uriah a message to carry to give to the people in charge that said to put him out in front and to have him killed, and he was murdered. Then, after all of that, the baby that was the result of David's adultery died in infancy. So talk about turmoil and evil and destruction. A downward spiral into one sin after another because one thought wasn't taken captive. But if we go further back, it starts with David's disobedience before he ever saw Bathsheba, right? Second Samuel 11 starts by stating, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. But where was King David? He's roaming around on his roof. He should have been out in battle with his men, but he's not where he's supposed to be. And he catches a glimpse of this woman bathing. And instead of turning from his view of her, he meditated on what he'd seen, and he acted on his sinful thoughts. So isn't that amazing to think about? Something as simple as him turning and walking back into his home. That one action could have led him down a path with vastly different results. But instead, his sin went further into adultery, lying, deception, murder, and the death of his baby. So sin begins in the mind, and that's where we need to stop it. So let's look at how our thoughts specifically impact our purity. Uh, this, this certainly isn't an exhaustive list that I'm going to look at, but we're just going to look at areas where we as women need to put up guardrails and be proactive in protecting our minds. So let's start with A, recognize that sexual sin is a process that starts with your thoughts. Well, James 1.15 says that, says, when lust has conceived, excuse me, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So it's the lust and corruption in our own hearts, the thoughts in our minds that are our tempters, and there is a process of sexual sin that begins with your thoughts. This is a process, just like King David, uh, with something that you think is relatively minor, a lingering look, seeking out a specific person to say hello, thoughts that you allow to run wild and can end in enslavement. So when we as women, so can we as women, what can we do to keep our thoughts uh, pure? And again, this isn't exhaustive, but first, um, maintain proper relationships with men. So what does proper mean? You don't fantasize about men. Even infatuation can lead to a sinful relationship. If you're married, ladies, you are married to your option. That's who you think about. You think about your husband. If you're unmarried, don't think about anyone. (laughs) Think about Christ. Pray that God would guard your mind and bring you a godly husband. Second, beware of one-on-one phone calls, texts, flirting, locking eyes for too long, lengthy conversations with men without your husband, or if you're single, long conversations with someone else's husband. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Third, be modest. Men are visual. What they can see, what they see can stumble them. So what you wear, how you interact with them, what you say to get something sinful from a man, do not seek to selfishly gain something at someone else's expense. Don't deceive someone out of their purity because of your immodesty. And fourth, never allow your thoughts to go where your body should never go. That's a huge one. Never allow your thoughts to go where you cannot. 
And that applies to any type of sexual sin. If you know there's a sin that you are considering in your mind that you know would mean church discipline, loss of family relationships, loss of everything that's important to you, why would you meditate on that? It will destroy you. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, that is too extreme. I'm not doing that. But we need to be radical with sexual sin. Some people will not perform the radical amputation that's required because they think they can prove they're spiritually strong because they're dancing around temptation. They want to continue to be around it and not resist it. But Proverbs 6 tells us, says, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Well, of course not. So run away from those thoughts. And as Mueller said in his, in our book, magnify the consequences of, of the sin in your mind and minimize the benefits. Magnify the consequences, minimize the benefits. Well, author uh, Randy Alcorn has a little book titled The Purity Principle, and in that he wrote, Victory can't happen if we allow our minds to consume what fuels the lust that prompt the actions. Victory can't happen if we allow our minds to consume what fuels the lust that prompts the action. And, And that is what Mark 7 says, evil actions are the result of evil thoughts. So you must fuel your actions with God's thoughts if you're going to glorify him in your body. So what you consume produces your thoughts, which produce your actions. So let's look at the next point, B, run from sexual temptation. Well, I often think about the kid's song, Oh, Be Careful, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? There's a father up above who's looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it goes on with what you hear, what your hands do, where your feet go. But that simple song really says a lot, right? Be careful of what you see. God has given you a powerful brain. And uh, what you see, good or evil, is stored in your mind. It's stored in your heart. And, and if you're a Christian, your father is looking at you, knowing that you were bought with the highest price, as we sing, the precious blood of his son. He's watching all that you do. That sweet little kid's song is really rich in practical theology. If you love the Son, if you love Christ, keep the commandments of the Word of God. Be careful of what you take in through your eyes and place in your mind so that you can glorify God in the body that he's given you. Again, if we go back to James, let's turn there, James 1.14. That tells us, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and is enticed by his own lust. So that wording, carried or drawn away, is like an animal caught in a trap. That animal is lured by bait that tempts tempts them and leads to their demise. So for us, our own desires, the lusts in our hearts to fulfill our flesh, that can trap us. And Jesus said that lust isn't just the source of sin, it is the sin. You look lustfully at someone, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. And if you're struggling with this, you need to ask God to reorient your heart so that your affections are towards Christ. Now, I know historically, uh, pornography has not been considered a man's problem, but that is no longer true. And when the pandemic hit almost four years ago, the viewing of pornography skyrocketed, skyrocketed, and especially uh, with women. And I, I know for you younger ladies, you're growing up in a much different world than many of us did. A lot of the movies that would have been considered pornography when I was a teenager 
families will sit and watch them together now. It's much, it's sad. It's a much different world. Um, and you're, and we're all carrying around a little time bomb, right? On a daily basis. We have our smartphones and that can lead you astray in a matter of seconds. So you have to be very careful. So ladies, I would be negligent if I didn't talk about this problem of pornography as we look at sexual purity. Because pornography itself mocks and defiles God's design for sex. It glorifies selfishness and self-gratification. It creates unrealistic, unbiblical expectations. Pornography is deadly. And this is something that can get a hold of you and completely consume your thoughts, take over your life, and drag you to the point that you look in the mirror and you don't even know who you are anymore. When you view pornography, you become like that animal that's lured in by the bait, caught in a trap, and you have absolutely no way out. So you think. And yet, I, I know we're a room full of Christian women, but I'm sure that some of you are in that trap right now, and you don't know what to do. And the thought of telling someone else in this room that you're in that trap is probably terrifying to you. But I'm telling you that sexual sin, and especially the sin of pornography, it's a sin that you have to seek help to overcome. You're not going to get out of it on your own. Satan loves secrecy, and he wants to just watch you drown in the corner instead of ask for help. Well, there is a a heartbreaking website, I'm sure some of you have seen it, that tracks through photos just the downward spiral of people who um, have been arrested for drug use. And it goes from their most recent arrest all the way back to their first arrest. And what's amazing about that website is that for many of these people, uh, there might not be a noticeable change in the first 6 to 12 months that they're getting arrested. But you can see where the breaking point was through those photos, where the drugs took them over, their ability to get it probably guided every decision they made. They lived to consume it, and they reached really a point of no return. And that is what pornography can do to you. And Satan will tell you, hey, one time is not a big deal. And then you do it that one time, and he says, okay, God's never taking you back now. It's really poisonous. So if you let your guard down, you view a little here, a little there, over time, what was once darkness, maybe physically jarring, it will no longer make you uncomfortable. And after a while, what used to make you wince or turn the other direction it won't even phase you. You'll, you'll sear your conscience and become callous to any sexual impurity. But praise, you know, praise God, there is beauty and, and freedom in purity. He's provided us with the power to break free from that sin, uh, to live out his perfect design for us. You know, we as women need to be in the business of putting sin to death on an hourly basis, right? You can't stand still in this battle. If you're a soldier on a field, you, can't, you stand still, you're dead. So whatever sexually sinful thoughts you're entertaining, stop immediately. If you're viewing pornography, stop today. If you've been flirting with someone else's husband, that has to end now. Uh, You have to be serious about this. So trying to justify your actions, pretending it'll go away on its own, that will just destroy you. So don't be a lazy soldier. Uh, Don't be an easy target for the evil one. Replace the lies that you're feeding yourself with, with truth that you have in your owner's manual, right? You have the Bible. For you, and that's for you to see the world as God sees it, not as you see it or as the world tells you to see it. So God's way to your heart is through your mind. So stop meditating on those impure images and renew your mind by meditating on his word. And, his, and for the younger ladies, I would say get your thought life in check now. 
You can be saved for 30 or 40 years and still be struggling with the thoughts that you had as an unbeliever because you never took the time to get your thoughts under control. So set your minds on things above and not on these earthly distractions. You can choose what you think about, right? You can be intentional about what you think about. And what you dwell on is who you become. Your thoughts are who you are and what you're becoming. So is what you're sowing today going to someday reap what God designed for you to be as a biblical woman? Or to ask that differently, is what you're putting into your mind giving you thoughts that are equipping you to glorify God in your body? And before we move on to the final point, I just want to address one thing. We need to be careful about our relationships with other women as well. Now, we are in a culture that celebrates homosexuality and transgenderism and anything goes. And I don't say be careful to make you fearful of or concerned about godly Christian relationships that you have. But beware of your thoughts and your emotions because a friendship can be inappropriate long before it becomes sexually impure. We as women are relational. We want to comfort each other. We are communicators. We like to talk. So we need to be careful that we don't become emotionally attached to another woman. That can also lead to impurity. So what you consume produces your thoughts, which produce your actions. So let's look at the last point, point three. You must obey God's word to live a pure life. Well, in Exodus 20, Moses was given the law, and he in turn gave it to the people, and he explained to them what God had commanded. And in chapter 24, it says, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. They made a pledge. Moses told them what God commanded, and they eagerly acknowledged and immediately made an oath together to apply the word of God to their life. So let's look at your actions starting with A, within the context of marriage, so sexual purity for married women. Well, almost a decade ago, God burdened me to get better equipped as a Christian, and, and which led me to start taking classes to become a biblical counselor. And so there's a North Creek church out in Walnut Creek. They offer these classes, and so I signed up. And so my very first counseling class I ever took was on sexual purity. And so the, the teacher started the class by sharing about a case that he had had in the past. It was a young couple. They'd been about, married about eight years, and they came to him for help because in those eight years of marriage, they had never had sex. And I said loudly, like everybody in the class, what? Like, are you kidding me right now? Eight years, and they had never had sex as a married couple. And he shared that they were healthy. They lived in the same house. Nobody was called off to war. And at the time, I thought, wow, he really searched the files and pulled up the craziest case he could come up with to share with us. But sadly, what I've discovered almost 10 years later is he was barely scratching the surface with that case. Uh, Married couples struggle with obedience. And if you're married, your sexual relationship with your husband impacts you as well as him. Now, God's word is clear. He made sexual intimacy for one man and one woman in marriage, leave, cleave, one flesh, in that order. God said in Genesis 2, it wasn't good for a man to be alone, and so he made the perfect complement for him in a woman. Hebrews 13 tells us that the 
marriage is to be held in honor and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Mueller wrote, Sex in marriage is not merely for your own pleasure or to cure lust. It's for the enjoyment of the other person. God provides sex as a gift and a blessing within marriage, but we must follow his design. And what that means is every aspect of his design, one man, one woman, in marriage, for the love and edification of the other person. Now, I know that for some of you, that might be an area of struggle and heartache for several reasons. Maybe you are married to an unbeliever, or uh, memories of past sexual sin or past sexual abuse just haunt you, um, or you have a husband who's unreasonable and his expectations are unbiblical. And if that's where you're at today, don't continue to pretend that those things will just resolve on their own. Um, you know, we have godly older women in this church who love and care for you. We have biblical counselors who are trained who help married couples through those kind of issues. We, um, if, if, so if that's where you're at, I just ask that you be in prayer and that you would ask for help from the leaders that God has placed here to guide you. Uh, but for some of you, you might be like that young couple who isn't having sex at all and you are totally fine with that. <laughs> Doesn't phase you. Maybe your bedroom has a revolving door and your kids are just in and out constantly and every night there's three or four gross little boys that are also in bed with you. And that's also fine with you because that means you're not going to have to have sex with your husband. Maybe you stay up late at night doing chores you could do the next morning because you're hoping and praying that by the time you get upstairs, he's asleep. So beware of behaviors like that young couple after eight years of marriage because eight years can turn into 20, which can turn into 50. And you and your husband can be married 50 years, but you are still living as if you're on year one because you never learned how to communicate and your sexual intimacy is either minimalized or non-existent, and you look at it as a drudgery. And that's not God's design for marriage, ladies. Um, He wants you to have joy in that. So don't let that go any longer if that's something that you're struggling with. So I'll ask you, married women, do you think sexual intimacy with your husband, do you think of it as a spiritual responsibility as his wife? Do you remember that in this entire world, you are the only woman that God has given the right to biblically meet the needs of the man that you are married to. You're the only woman. And again, if you want to have joy in this, but you see this as an area of dread, and you know, you've known for a while that you need help, don't let that go on any longer. Reach out to the godly older women and the biblical counselors in our church for help. Well, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to read... Verses 1 to 5. And this says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That really is just a beautiful picture painted in in those verses. The husband and wife belong to each other. 
God created them specifically for one another. The wife is the perfect complement to her husband. One author wrote, and uh, commenting on those verses, wrote, Sexual intimacy within marriage becomes a touchstone for the spiritual and emotional viability of a marriage. It's a thermometer, a litmus test for your marriage. So just a few areas for married women to think about to cultivate your marriage, for you and your husband to remain pure. And I'm going to pull from Alcorn's book again. He says, regularly evaluate your relationship with your husband. Watch for the red flags of discontentment and in a diminishing sexual relationship. Talk openly, work through it, even when it's painful. As 1 Corinthians 7 says, do not deprive your husband. Be sensitive to his needs. Uh, Date your husband. Put that into your schedule and don't allow anything other than one of the kids needing a finger reattached to knock it off of your calendar. Be fiercely loyal to your husband. Don't share marriage problems with others unless you are in a godly counseling situation where you are seeking help. Um, Pray often with and for each other and treasure your marriage and the husband that God has given you. Okay, well, let's look at the next point. Sex outside of marriage, so sexual purity for single ladies. Um, I think every time I've taught, I've mentioned the old music group, The Carpenters, which shows I have issues, but this time's not going to be any different. Um, The the Carpenters have a song titled, I Believe You. I I was listening to it on the way here. And the chorus to that song says, blind faith makes me follow you. I'd live in a cave if you wanted to. Just ask me and I'll marry you. You don't have to tell me because you overwhelm me. I would assume this is a guy that probably just walked in a room. He didn't really, you know, do anything amazing. And I was thinking about purity, and those lyrics came to my mind, and I just thought, wow, sometimes, ladies, we are so dumb, aren't we? We are dumb sheep, right? You can be quick to let your mind go where your body can't. You can be lonely or discouraged, and a guy can say hello, and your thoughts take off, right? You get the slightest bit of attention, a smile, a wink. He just walks by you. And you start compromising your convictions in your mind. You forget all about what God commands you to be as a single woman. Now, ladies, if you are single, your God-given sexual desires, those that he designed for you as a woman to enjoy in marriage, those are not shameful. That's how he created you. But before marriage, their purpose is for you to learn self-control. And, and I know, trust me, I know this is difficult. And at times we can think, Lord, this is too much. I don't know what's going on here. I can't handle this. But if you don't learn that self-control before marriage, you'll continue to struggle with it after marriage. It's not going to just magically go away. So just some practical application for the single women. First, uh, Romans 13 tells us, make no provision for the flesh. Instead, make plans to eliminate temptation. Share your sin struggle with a trusted sister who will ask you the hard questions, memorize scripture specific to what you're battling, and make a plan to keep yourself on the path to purity. Use your owner's manual. Use your Bible. Second, don't place yourself in situations where you might be tempted. If you know that every day you're going to eat a dozen donuts, you don't go apply for a job at Krispy Kreme, right? Use, use common sense. Sometimes it's common sense. Don't go places where you know you'll be tempted to be impure. And third, man, do I know this one. Choose wisely who you will date. Choose very wisely. If you find yourself attracted to an unbeliever, run. 
Don't date a man who has no idea what a godly relationship looks like. And then be tempted to throw your convictions out the window when he tells you he has no problem with sex before marriage. If God says don't be unequally yoked in marriage, why would you be unequally yoked in a dating situation that could lead to marriage? Mueller said, It's good for a man not to touch a woman in such a way as to stir up sensual desires, ultimately leading to sexual intercourse. It implies everything that leads up to the final act. Don't allow another person to entice you to let your mind go where you know that your body can't. And fourth, avoid compromising Christians. You know, evil influences aren't just outside of the church. Don't spend time with people who know God's word and choose not to obey it. Bad company corrupts good morals. And single ladies, don't be a hero. Don't try to test your strength. Don't see how far you can go to stop something you never should have started. If you want to date or you are dating, sit down with a godly woman and figure out what your boundaries are, your biblical boundaries. As my disciple used to say to me when I was leaving her house, nothing good happens in the dark, Laura. And she's right. You're sitting in his car. It's 2 a.m. You're both tired. And next thing you know, you've sinned. And there is no taking that back. There's no reversing that. So determine those boundaries before you ever go on a date. Learn what God has to say about purity and put those guardrails up. A lazy soldier is an easy target for the enemy. And if you're dating a guy who's continually trying to lead you into sin, drop him. Your purity is more important. Well, sex is a privilege, and when we separate it from the responsibilities of a marriage covenant— it leads to great heartache. To claim the privilege apart from the responsibility, it perverts God's purposes. One author said, to fulfill some hormonal surge, some secret fantasy, we will trade our future. Are you willing to trade your future for a few minutes that are going to impact the rest of your life? So with that in mind, let's move on to C, continually flee immorality. So all of us married or unmarried must be continually fleeing immorality. If you consider Joseph in Genesis 39, his boss's wife tried to seduce him, and what happened? Uh, She got a hold of his robe. He literally jumped out of it, and he ran, right? He got out of there. He fled. Sexual sin is not a sin that can be confronted. You just run. Again, Mueller said the Christian is to have a lifestyle that continually runs from immorality impurity, and lust. On every date and in every relationship, the Christian is to guard themselves from sexual sin and run away from it. So our focus must not be on, it must be on how close we can get to Christ and not how close we can get to the sin without sinning. You must glorify God in your body, and as you flee sexual temptation, you pursue the things of God. Women busy with the work of of their Heavenly Father don't have time for evil. Pursue Bible study, serving, discipling others, witnessing, visiting the sick, memorizing the book of Titus. Don't look at what you can't do, but instead look at all you can do out of love for Christ. Just like a well-prepared soldier, you need to be strategic in that battle. Well, we live in a culture that really brings sex into every aspect of life. But sex is not ultimate, ladies. While God created it and it's good, it's not the only reason that people are on this earth. As Christian women, we need to recognize that 
it's powerful, and it can either do amazing good or it can do great destruction. So don't be deceived by sexual sin, by impurity, because many of its consequences are hidden when you're considering it. Few sins cause as much destruction as sexual sin, and the reality is sexual sin is idolatry. You're putting that desire in place of God. So I just want to address a couple of things. You know, as I said before, if past sexual sin or sexual abuse is haunting you, um, if you're looking at your past and seeing where sin that you committed or that was committed against you has kept you um, just from joy, or maybe it's led you into more sin or it's left you afraid of sexual intimacy, just know that God can fully restore you. Um, Ephesians 3.20 tells us that he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Far more abundantly. So we have good news, don't we? God is faithful. And as you fight this battle for purity, you ask him for help through the renewing of your mind, he will change your heart. He can do that for you. Maybe you're someone who needs the fear of God to wake you up. And I'll quote from Alcorn again. He says, and I think this is on your handout, it, it's completely fitting to hold out the prospect of grief and self-destruction as reasons to avoid impurity. If sheer terror is what keeps you obedient, then glory be to God if that's what keeps you from misery. Well, the, the homepage of the website I referenced earlier, the, un, the first thing it says is, drug use can ravage people's faces and bodies so badly, so badly that they become completely unrecognizable. And if that's you today, if your impurity has left you completely unrecognizable, I'd like to urge you to turn from that this morning. Stop what you've been doing. If you're a Christian, I hope that God convicts you to turn back to him. If you're truly saved, think back on the joy of your salvation. Think back on that first day that you knew you were free and on the grace he bestowed on you. If you're not a Christian, I hope this morning as we've gone through these scriptures, you see what God, that God is more satisfying. Uh, that there's great joy and freedom in him. He gives you pleasure in obedience. If you've failed in this area, ladies, um, don't forget that it's never too late to turn to God. He can wash you. He can cleanse you like King David in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. He cried out to God and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When you humble yourself and come to him, you can be confident that he will receive you and transform you into the biblical woman that he designed you to be. Because of the work on Christ, of Christ on the cross, he can change you. Your purity can begin today. And I'll just end with this. You know, ladies, this is not just, these are not just philosophies or steps, right? 25 years ago, I used to come into this room, morning and evening service. I would sit in here, and I was an unbeliever. I was in a lesbian relationship, and I was a slave to pornography. So when I say that he can change you, that's because I know that he can. He can change you. He can do a work in your heart and renew you. He'll change you, and he'll look at your life, and he'll say, there's no other answer to the change in my life than what God has done. There's no other way you'll be free. So cry out to him now and repent. And what that means is you tell him, I was a fool, Lord. I was a fool. I did foolish, sinful things. And ask him to cleanse you of that impurity and pride and foolishness. And he will do it. 
praise God. Some of you already know that. Well, sisters, there was much to cover in this chapter. I know I didn't get through a lot of it, so if there's something on your mind, if there's a question you have, something that didn't make sense, please come and see me after the small group time or catch me tomorrow, and uh, by God's grace, I can help you or send you to someone who, who can help you with that. Okay, well, let me pray for us, and we, we'll get into our small groups. <clears throat> Lord, you are the only way. You're the only way that we can escape this sin that so easily entangles us. Please bless this discussion time now. You know, purity, I know, is a heavy topic. Lord, there can be much hurt and regret and wrongdoing associated with it. So I just ask you bless these conversations. I ask that these ladies would be encouraged by this time and that you would use it to convict them, that they would go home today, Lord, and get into the word and you would renew their minds. Give them a a zeal for you and just a desire to live a pure life. In Christ's name, amen.